Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Gabrielle Taylor. She is a psychotherapist, a relational life therapist, and a coach. Welcome, Gabrielle. I'm so happy to have you here and so excited to dive in and learn all the things that you are doing and share that with the listeners. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks so much, Brad. It's really, I'm really glad to be here as well. <laughs> it is an honor and a pleasure to have you. I'm really excited to jump in and get started. So let's start off. How long have you been a psychotherapist, Gabrielle? I've been practicing as a psychotherapist since 2006. So it's been 17 years now. Okay. And so what motivated or inspired you to get into psychotherapy and pursue a career in this field and get started in that world? I guess it was, I've always been a good listener, but some of my own personal struggles at that time, I had two young kids and I was at a job that I didn't really like. And I was just looking for myself and I felt like I wanted to do something more with my life. And it just felt like a natural next step is to go study counseling. (laughs) And what were you doing before you jumped into the world of psychotherapy? Various things. At that time, I was working as a school librarian in my husband's school. Yeah, I love books, but it, being a librarian wasn't just... It, <laughs> it wasn't just wasn't for you. Me. It wasn't for me. <laughs> and prior to that, I'd studied, I had gone to art school, and in my 20s, I spent three years in a monastic community studying meditation. So I had done a variety of different things. Now, when you're doing your psychotherapy work, do you find it hard not to bring your work home with you? And if so, or how do you deal with that so that you do your best not to do that? That would be a practice, a mindful practice, I would think. Actually, I don't generally have much of a problem with that, surprisingly. Once in a while, it'll happen when there's a client that has a really big, deep struggle and I'm having trouble getting a handle on things. I do like to refer clients out if I feel they need other kinds of help or I'll get support for myself, for colleagues or supervisors. But yeah, generally I'm with my clients when I'm with them, but I love my work. I'm really passionate about it. I've heard a lot of people say that work in the therapy world, that this work has chosen them as opposed to them choosing this field of work to get into. Do you feel that same way? And if so, why do you feel that way? Yeah, definitely. As I was as I was saying, when I went to back to school to study counseling, it was my own personal, some of my own personal struggles led me there. And what happened was I started to look for a counseling program at different places, not far from my home. And just the way things unfolded, it was really weird, the synchronicities that happened. And after quite a bit of searching, I found a really good, perfect 
counseling program basically at my doorstep. And it was also spiritual counseling, which was a bit different. It was like, yeah, no. So it was, yeah, I felt like it was destiny, if you will. (laughs) Now, what in your opinion is the most important quality or skill set in a psychotherapist? I think it's presence, being present with your clients. And I think really believing in the client's potential and seeing beyond what sometimes the obstacles or the problems that the client might be having, seeing their potential and their essence and being with them and believing in them and being their champion in a way. Yeah. What is your greatest strength as a psychotherapist? Oh boy. Okay. I know my clients generally tell me they feel safe with me and that like they feel that I'm trustworthy. I do think I really tend to believe in my clients and try to see their potential. But I think I've also continued my training and learning throughout my career. Which is important, right? Because we have to, we're continually evolving and we have to keep up with the trends and the changes in the world, but also keep up with our own personal development. It's very important in order for us to evolve as human beings that we are constantly upgrading our skills and improving ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I feel personal development is really important to me and I have to also grow and take care of myself and be on my own healing journey if I'm going to facilitate other people's healing. Absolutely. So what lights you up or inspires you the most about the work you do? I think when I see a client or or I witness a client making a breakthrough or I see clients who have changed their lives that really is the biggest thrill, if you yeah. will. It's an amazing experience. It's very rewarding. And on the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of your career? Sometimes when you see a client, you really want them to grow and learn and so on, and they give up on themselves or they're not motivated. That can be hard, but I also think that part of my job is letting go because I can't do it for anybody else. You're just there but- to guide them and give them the tools, right? Yeah. And I don't understand everything, the whole picture, but yeah, it can be sometimes hard when you... So how do you deal with that when that comes up? How do you handle that as someone's therapist? You have to let go. People make choices in their lives and it's not my choice and it's not my life and I don't have all the pieces. Sometimes it it requires that I take care of myself then and say, why am I like, I can't want something more than a client wants it, for instance. Yeah. Now, I want to speak a little bit about your coaching now. As a relationship coach, do you focus on a specific type of relationship in your work? I focus a lot on empaths. Empath myself, like someone who's highly emotional and highly sensitive. And I've had a lot of quote-unquote empaths in my practice. So I like to focus on empaths, but I do work with people in all kinds of relationships. So I mostly work with couples, but I've had a lot of like parent, child, adult, or teen, child relationships. I love working with parent-children relationships. Would you say that's your favorite type of client to work with or favorite type of relationship to help? It's not my favorite because I love working with couples. But I think anything that pertains to family relationships really, you know, touches me. Lights you up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other therapists? Why would they choose to work with you over another therapist? I think... I've had clients, for instance, couples have come to me and they've seen sometimes two or three other therapists and then they're really relieved. (laughs) I'm tooting my own horn here. but (laughs) No, that's okay. 
Yeah. And I think I've been trained in an approach called relational life therapy. It's a very directive approach and okay. it really, it comes with seeing ourselves as therapists or a coach as a fellow traveler. So we're a fellow traveler to the client. Mm -hmm. And so I'm joining the client where they're at and I teach relational skills. It's very directive and hands-on. And so my main concern is to get to help the clients get some results and to get out of that really painful place that they're in yeah. so that they can learn some tools so they can move forward. Okay. So it's, I think clients really appreciate that. How do you separate or shall we say switch hats from psychotherapist to relationship coach or do they intertwine with one another or bleed into one another? You use your skill sets from your psychotherapy world and your coaching world, combine them? That's interesting. Yeah, I think that they intertwine very much. Mm -hmm. And it goes both ways. Yeah, my therapist, you, you can't take the therapist out of the coach when you're, you can't. <laughs> and I've studied different coaching approaches as well. And I've done, I've sought coaching for myself. Yeah. So I think everything I've learned from everywhere plays into what okay. I do. But there are yeah. some guidelines, obviously, for therapy and coaching. I've heard a lot of people say, a lot of the women I've spoken to, if not all coaches have been through their own personal struggles and journey before making the leap into coaching. But we, hell, we as human beings, we all have our own shit to deal with and our own struggles, personal journeys to go through. But what I found, though, is that a lot of the women I speak to who have become coaches, their personal journey or their personal struggle were, if you will, the catalyst for them stepping into the coaching world. Can you share a little bit about your own personal story before you made the leap into the coaching world? Yeah. I originally got into coaching to help me grow my business. So I delved into the online coaching world, if you will, which is massive. But as well, the other part to it was that th there had been times when I'd been through my own struggles and been sought out a therapist, and I experienced some disappointment in that. And there are lots and lots of great therapists out there, so I'm not saying that they don't exist. But I think there's something about the medical model, and I think I've, that has changed in the last maybe 20 years. A lot of therapy, when you go see a therapist, but maybe this was true, I don't know if it's still true across the board, but there's a the medical model in which we tend to see people as having certain problems and labels are given and there's a textbook approach. And I really didn't enjoy being categorized and put in a textbook and then yeah. told that this was the solution when it didn't feel at all right. So I think that led me to explore different coaching approaches okay. and things have changed. I've now encountered so many great therapy models, such as internal family system, ways to basically heal trauma that are not stigmatizing or pathologizing and that are just amazing. I've heard people say that therapy is a place where you just talk and talk about the problem, whereas coaching is a very different approach. You don't talk about the problem. You talk about where you want to go. Yes, of course, you talk about the struggles, but it's more about getting you to a different place and where your clients want to go. Whereas therapy, you're just constantly repeating the problem and talking about the problem and trying to figure out how to get out of the what the problem is and all of these things. Do you find that? Not the approach that I use in therapy. And there are many approaches, experiential approaches in therapy. And as well to heal trauma, you do need to get into the subcortical brain and your body. So it's 
just talk therapy sometimes alone doesn't cut it. What is your approach to coaching when you're working with a client? With coaching, I like to lead my clients towards a breakthrough of some kind. I'll be quite structured and we'll try to identify the problem and lay out a roadmap towards the solution, the shifts that need to happen and the mindset changes and the practices that they need to put into place and then how to maintain those. So it's going to be very hands-on and practical. What would you say are some of the greatest benefits of working with a relationship coach? I think that when I know what it feels like to be stuck in a really painful place within your family or couple's relationship, relationships can bring us the greatest joy and they can also bring us to places of great pain and inner conflict. And so when you're really stuck in a pattern that's not healthy and not good, it can be so devastating and so painful. And what I think one of the benefits of relationship coaching or couples therapy or family therapies is you can have someone from the outside. It's like you're stuck in a labyrinth and you don't see the way out. And so someone from the outside can show you the view from up on high and you can start seeing how to get out of that labyrinth. In your experience as a relationship coach, what would you say are three of the biggest challenges that couples face? Oh, okay. That's a good one. I'd say loss of connection is a big one that over time, for different reasons, a gap can develop. And sometimes it's from, let's say we do something in relationship called making a bid for connection. So if I make a bid for connection and my partner's too busy or they're distracted and it happens time and time again, I might just stop making those bids for connection. I might resign, get discouraged. Yeah. And vice versa. And there's there are many different reasons why that gap may develop and that loss of connection. And there's a kind of alienation that can set mm-hmm. in, but people crave the connection. Yeah. And they don't know how to get back to get the connection back. Or there's like escalating arguments. That's another type of dynamic where people, they love each other deeply, but they don't know why, but their arguments just explode and constantly. And often what I say to clients is it's not about how you load the dishwasher or the spreadsheets or the financial spreadsheets or the, I don't know. It's like, there's underlying shit there. Underlying attachment wounds or dynamics. And then I think a lot of people lack the support, like maybe the family support or having models for showing them how to be in relationship or they don't have the guidance. How has your coaching style evolved over time from when you first became a coach to now? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I think I've grown in confidence, obviously, because when I Mm. first started, I remember experience, confidence, and competence. I'd say at this point, I like to try to get down to the heart of the matter really rapidly and cut through the layers and go straight to what's that, the pulsating heart. And yeah, I'd say I'm faster at that, (laughs) more efficient. (laughs) What are a couple of tips or takeaways that listeners can implement for managing conflict and relationships? The first one would be take a breath and let the heat come down, let the temperature come down and learn how to access that pause button before you move into rash actions or make rash decisions. And if you're struggling, reach out for help. Ask for help. Yeah, I think that's a big problem for people is asking for help because they think that's a sign of weakness. 
Yeah, exactly. For some people, that's what they've learned. Uh, yeah, up. they've been conditioned, right? Yeah. I think it's a sign of strength, actually, to admit yeah. that you need the help. Absolutely. I've asked for help many times. I like to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. I've seen many people around me, people I've come in contact with, and you hear about it quite frequently. It would seem that divorce is becoming more and more common. In your opinion, what is the main cause and why do you think this is happening more in today's society? That's a very complex question. But yeah, I think in some ways there's been the whole feminist movement. That's This is now what, 40, 50 years since that's happened. I think that's changed our society a lot. And there are many good things about it. And you wouldn't want to be in a society where people are forced to stay married in a situation that's really toxic or violent or so on. At the same time, we do live in in an individualistic and patriarchal society still. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we talk about empowerment, self-empowerment for the individual, but our relationships are super important. And we don't always emphasize relationship skills, how to, to create healthy relationships. So you have a choice to stay in a relationship when you want to, and not be a victim of circumstance because things just fall apart. I always find that a tragedy when people they end up going through a separation or divorce, but it's not really their heart's desire. Let's say yeah. it happens to them rather than somebody who chooses it because it's the best thing for them to do in that situation. Do you, do you think that maybe as well, it's part of how society thinks nowadays where everything there's there's a quick fix for everything so it's just easy to walk away as opposed to putting in the work because people don't want to put in the work they just want the quick easy fix and the easy fix in this particular thing is just just walk away and and mm-hmm. remove themselves from it yeah that's the case sometimes and yeah it doesn't really solve anything because wherever you go there you are so you bring all your if you have <laughs> I love that wherever you go there you are <laughs> you bring all your problems with you to the next yeah. relationship right? What's not right. resolved. And it could be the polar opposite, but then yeah. after a certain amount of time, the issues will resurface in a different form. And when people leave a relationship and it's unresolved and they're still, you can tell when they're still, or you're still attached to the other person and yeah. you care, you're just angry at them and pissed off and everything else. And they leave, but they're still carrying that person. They're still, the, the person has their hooks in them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gabrielle, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Oh, wow. I think I'm a really good listener, but let me just think about that. I'm very empathetic, I think, and I'm very versatile. I'm very passionate about what I do. So when I encounter, let's say, a couple that has a certain difficulty that I don't understand, I'm going to go study and learn about, learn more. And so I like to get to the bottom of things. So I, and I think one of the things is I believe in my clients. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? For me, success is being happy and helping others. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? I think one of the most important things I've learned in my life is to follow my passion. For instance, before I went to study psychotherapy, I I could have stayed at my job and stayed in my situation. It would have been in a certain way the easier thing to do. 
it was a lot of work to go back to school with two young kids and so on and so forth and work at the same time. But I was getting depressed and I didn't see much future in what I was doing. Yeah. So it was a lot of and yeah, so I think that following my passion has been an important life lesson. Love it. And what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment, I think it really depends on what we're empowering ourselves for. So the empowering yourself for what that matters. It's like mm. empowering oneself to fulfill one's purpose, empowering oneself to have an impact in the world, to grow, empowering oneself to learn how to be in a healthier relationship. That's empowering. That's what it means for me. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, just be one, two, three word type answer. Okay. Oh, okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Empathetic. What is your favorite self-care practice? Nature and meditation. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Have more compassion. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Authenticity and connection. Could, connection. Oh. Deeper, deeper, meaningful connection. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? How I inspired people to be their authentic selves. What makes you happy and brings you the most joy? Learning. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I think it's important to take time to get to know yourself and your strengths. And so the self-work. Yeah. Lean into the strengths and make decisions accordingly. What challenge in your life would you say has shaped you the most? I think it's being a parent. Being a parent yeah. was really led to a lot of growth. Yeah. And in a fa being a parent and in a family, it's been a journey. <laughs> what is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I think that sometimes we have surprising, unexpected, positive outcomes from situations. And What's... not always like to feel like it's going to be negative. Sometimes something beautiful can happen that's unexpected. Absolutely. Sometimes what seems like the worst thing that could be happening in our lives ends up being the best thing for us. Yeah, that's it. The curse becomes a blessing. <laughs> yeah. What's something you learned growing up that is apparently no longer true? I was reflecting on that. And I think that in my family, I was taught to make beauty out of pain, which is beautiful. My mom was an artist and my dad was an intellectual. But we also held on to our pain. We weren't taught to express our pain, just like unless it was a beautiful work of art. <laughs> so I've learned that it's important to someone just express your pain and your feelings, emotions in their rawness as they are without putting qualifiers or conditions and just to really contact that and connect with it and share it. Sometimes it's really helpful. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I thought of Michelle Obama. <laughs> when I, I heard it first, I thought of Michelle Obama. And then I said, no, Emily Carr, because uh, Michelle Obama, because I heard her recently talk on, I think there's, she came out with a new book and she was talking about kitchen table friends. And I grew up with a family where five sisters a lot of cousins and a lot of like a lot of coming and going. There was our famous kitchen table. We had this oval kitchen table, and there's so many yeah. conversations that were had at that kitchen table. It's just the quality of connection. But Emily Carr, when I was younger, she was a huge inspiration to me. When I was in high school, I read all her books. 
And she was so down to earth. She went out into nature and she went out with uh, the native tribes in BC. And she was this amazing artist. And she really inspired me as a teenager. But then really came down <laughs> to my mother, because my mother has passed away like 32 years ago. And I, I miss her. Like I said, what would I give to have a conversation with her now? She never got to meet my kids. And I would have, I have so many questions for her. So That's beautiful. That, <laughs> Gabrielle, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think I'd tell myself to have more fun because I was pretty serious, overly serious when I was young and still pretty serious throughout my life. So I think I'd be like, have more fun. <laughs> Enjoy. <Okay. laughs> Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I'd say your emotions have so much impact on your life and pay attention to those emotions. Give them their due and sit with them, work through, pay attention to them, feel them, work through them, talk about them because they're like the fire in the furnace or the fire in your soul as well. And be aware of how they operate and they're bigger than you think, bigger impact than you think in life. It's beautiful. Gabrielle, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. It was an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to sit down and, and share in your journey of your story and the work you do. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world through all the work that you're doing. I appreciate you, and I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empower community. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. Oh, thanks so much, Brad. It's been a great pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Gabrielle Taylor. She is a psychotherapist, a relational life therapist, and a coach. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.